chapter 3. Reading from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 today. If you want to turn your Bibles, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks, David. So I want to know, how many of you actually became what you wanted to be when you were a little kid? Would you raise your hand? How many of you actually became... Keep them up, keep them up so I can see. Wow, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Hey, um, I got to tell you, I'm really proud of this church. Let me tell you why. Uh, If you want to show those pictures, Ethan. You know, the women's ministry is doing a tremendous job. I know last night they gathered and they watched the war room together. And I know Janelle shared and said that... um, Just encourage the women to be women of prayer, have a passion for the heart of God, to pray for their families, pray for our community, pray for our church. And then yesterday, a group of women came together and they did a clothes swap, which about 50 or 60 families came together and just exchanged clothes. I don't think there was any costs, right, involved. I think it just exchanged clothes and also served some families in the community that needed resources, needed help. And so that's... You know, that's the heart of God for our community, that we are to be generous to one another, generous to the people around us, and find ways in which we can make an impact in the lives of others. And so as your pastor, I'm incredibly proud when I see people step out, bringing the church together, serving one another, really causing us to fall in love with God more, and and through what we do, showing who he is to a community that desperately needs to know his love and goodness. Are you with me? So, hey, keep it up. Let's keep, let's keep pursuing that. Hey, today uh, we're in James chapter 3. Uh, like we said earlier, if you'll grab a Bible or turn it on, uh, the reason I want you to bring a Bible is when we walk through a text, I want you to know that the stuff that I'm communicating, I'm not making it up. It's in there. And if, it's, if you're not looking in the text, then you're going to think, okay, he's just a good communicator, hopefully. But I want you to see that it's there. We're in James chapter 3. And what we're looking at today is the difference between true and false wisdom. You know, when you go through chapters 2 and 3, and really into chapter 4, there's these sets of threes, sets of threes that are sets of twos. Two kinds of words we looked at last week. Today we look at two kinds of wisdom. Next week we'll look at two kinds of friendship. Friendship with the world and friendship with God. So two kinds of words, two kinds of wisdoms, and two kinds of friendship that all point to one kind of heart. 
Because from the overflow of the mouth, or the heart, the mouth speaks. The wisdom we live out comes out of the heart. And our passions and our desires either drive us towards God, or it drives us towards the world. And so today, in James chapter 3, and we're going to read it again, James is looking at the wisdom that comes from above, and comparing that with the wisdom that is earthly. Did you hear it? Unspiritual. Then he says, demonic. And so that's a big dichotomy, a big difference between that which is from above and that which is earthly. So let's jump back in. So let's pick it up in verse 13. And here's the question. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So in chapter 2, James said, faith without deeds is useless. Now, he's not going to let go from that. He's not going to move away from the difference between just simply professing faith in Jesus and actually having your faith show up in the way you live your life. And so James is going to say, if you claim to be wise, show me. I'm tired of your words. I'm tired of hearing how much you love God. I'm tired of the professions of faith that says, I'm following God, I'm pursuing God. He says, show me by your good life. So listen, wisdom is not what I'm doing right now. Don't be fooled. When somebody has a lot of knowledge, when somebody may be gifted or talented, that is not wisdom from above. The way you can tell if a pastor, a leader, an elder is wise is what James says. Watch her life. He says wisdom is going to show up in the way you actually live your life. So if we claim to be wise, if we claim to love God, well, how is that actually showing up in the way that we're living our lives? That's true wisdom. That's the argument that James is going to make. He's saying, show me. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So in these six simple verses, he's contrasting true wisdom from false wisdom. You know, in the world, there's many definitions of wisdom, but the Bible starts with this, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, which means the starting point for wisdom is to recognize there is a creator that has designed the world, has created us, and has also spoken into our lives through His Word, through His commands, through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. And when we abandon God's laws, we abandon what God has said, what we're doing is essentially saying, hey, I'm the Creator. I'm the center. See, if God has created all things and He said, hey, there's a way to live life, there's a way that brings blessing and joy, there's a way that husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, Wives, respect your husbands in all things. There's a way that works. There's a way that brings joy. But so often what happens, and this is true in my heart, 
is I say, God, not today. I got this. I got it. I'm doing marriage my way. I'm doing money my way. What I'm saying is I'm the center. I want my wife to revolve around me. I've tried it. Guys, it didn't work. (laughs) I want my kids to revolve around me. I want to get home and I want the steak ready. Uh, I want the game on. I want everything to work for me. And when I go to work, I want everyone to respect me and do what I say. And are you with me? What he's saying is there's a wisdom that comes from above that's self-sacrificing, that's loving and patient. It looks nothing like our typical way of doing life. And it comes from above. But there's also this wisdom, and he's going to say it's a wisdom that leads to death. Whether it's death in a marriage or financial death, relational death. It's a wisdom that doesn't bring life and joy and peace, but it's a wisdom that instead brings pain and hardship. And what James is doing, what God wants to do for us, God loves us too much to allow us not to evaluate the wisdom and evaluate the ways that we're making decisions in our lives. So let's let's look into this. What is true and what is false wisdom? Well, first of all, he says false wisdom is characterized by, first of all, two things. He calls it bitter jealousy and then selfish ambition. That the heart of false wisdom is pride. It's selfish ambition. Selfish ambition says, what do I want? Now, that doesn't seem like a bad question. At times, it's not a bad question. I'm going to fall. That's my fault. We're all right. (laughs) What do I want? Not what does God want for me, but what do I want? You know, selfish ambition starts with this idea again that I'm the point. And so there isn't a right way to live. Instead, all we have in the world, and you'll hear this, are preferences. You know, this preference and that preference. And if this preference works for you, then then that's great. I'm not going to impose any preferences on you. These are my preferences. Because, see, I'm the center. And so that means if you're the center, I can figure it out. That's an assumption that comes from the pit of hell. Because it says, I'm not going to submit to God and listen to Him. I'm going to believe that, okay, if God exists, He just wants me to do however, do life however I want to do it. Well, see, that's selfish ambition because it says you've got this you can figure it out there's no one right way to live instead just do things in a way that makes sense to you you know follow your heart I don't know what that means because sometimes my heart says eat a gallon of ice cream (laughs) do you have that and then it says run on the treadmill well which one is my heart (laughs) I mean and so that's that's the wisdom from from below It's selfish ambition, but then he also calls it bitter jealousy. Now, here's bitter jealousy. Jealousy is just comparing yourself to someone else and realizing they have a lot. Or maybe, hey, that marriage looks better than mine, or this job looks better than mine, those children obey better than mine. That's jealousy. But bitter jealousy is when you look at someone else, you're not content, but you're angry because of what they have. Which means at your job you cannot celebrate 
when someone else gets that promotion that you thought you deserve. Or when someone else that maybe you don't care about as much, that maybe isn't at the top on your Christmas card list, gets what you hoped to achieve, or the house that you wanted, the life that you wanted, that's bitter jealousy. Because again, if you put yourself at the center and you're comparing yourself with everyone else, you're saying, you know, I should have a better life. Let's just be honest. I should have a better life. This is not the marriage. This is not the life that God should give me. Because in your heart, what you're really saying is, I am God. And so often what happens when we're walking in that is we will not let God say no. Why won't we let God say no? Because so often when, it's, when we're the center, what we're doing to God is we're projecting ourselves on God. And we're saying, if this is who God is, you know what, God, you probably don't care if I disobey this command. You're good with that. You probably don't. I can probably, I can pick and choose. I can figure it out. Well, realize if all of us did that, which version is the right one? If every single one of us looked at the Bible and said, hey, I'm going to pick and choose. I don't like this command. I like this command. All we're doing really is projecting ourself on God, which means all we're really doing is worshiping ourselves. You see, what happens is it's not just in earthly life, but in spiritual things. We project selfish ambition on God, and we see God the way that we want to see God, not to see God as who He is, not to allow God to say, Jason, you're dead wrong. You need to repent. You need to humble yourself and recognize the path you're on is going to lead to death, and you need to submit your heart to me. When you do that, that's not selfish ambition. Instead, that is the meekness that comes, did you hear that in verse 13, from wisdom. To know, God, I am not God. In a lot of ways, I'm glad. I know my wife is glad. But I need to humble myself before you and admit, I need you. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now look, if that's going to get cultivated in your your life, uh, notice where it's going to take us. Because there is a way that seems right to me, but that way leads to death. And so when that's festering in your heart, two things show up. One, boasting. Notice, do not boast. And then second, be false to the truth because this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. See, if God is not God and I'm at the center, then I've got to find something to boast in. You were created to boast in the Lord. You were created to glorify Him, meaning you were created to find God beautiful. You were created to magnify the Lord and to praise Him in the way you live your life, in the words that you say, and in the things that you pursue. But if God isn't God, then you've got to replace God with something in your life that you can boast in to find glory. You with me? And that's what he's saying. Reject God, put yourself at the center you'll boast in something. And so if you looked at your life, what do we boast in? What do we make much of? And then beyond that, just in boasting, he says we're false to the truth. That when we take what God says, and if God is not God, and I'm God in my life, and I can start evaluating what God 
is saying to me, then what I have to do is I've got to start taking the truth of God and find reasons and explanations for why I'm not going to obey that. We have to falsify the truth. Because in selfish ambition, in earthly wisdom, God is in your way. You may think you love God, but really, rebellion and disobedience says, I hate God because I hate that God is between myself and what I want to boast in. You with me? What is that going to produce in your life? Notice where he starts, where he starts taking that. He says, there will be disorder. Look at the end. In every evil practice. I think history proves that when mankind is left to himself, putting himself at the center of life, the result is disorder in every vile practice. We come up with new ways of disgusting ourselves and others. Because when we put ourselves at the center and when my heart and my desires drive things, it will take me to places that I never thought I'd go. Now, I don't know if that's your story. I know that's my story. As a young man, thinking, okay, on the one hand, I can profess faith in Jesus Christ, came to faith at the age of 19. But I didn't think holiness and obedience mattered. God just accepts me. Well, you know what I did is I kind of created a God of my own design. Hey, this is who God is. Not the God of the Bible. Not the God that is revealed through the person and the work of Jesus. No, the God that works in Jason's life. And I'll tell you, even though I believe God saved me at the age of 19, there was a rebellion in my heart that led to breakdown in relationship and could have led to death. Could have led to divorce, adultery, a broken home, broken relationships. Why? Because on the one hand, there were things I wanted to accept from God, but I wouldn't accept God. I wouldn't let God be God in my life. I was always having some reason why this isn't going to work out. That's earthly wisdom. That's earthly wisdom. And because of that, it leads to every vile practice and disorder. That we can say to God, God, I know you created everything, but I can do with your stuff what I want because it's mine. Hey, that's in me. God, I earned this. This is my life. This is my body. Sexually, I can experience what I want because if there isn't a God and there isn't one right way to live, then sexuality, it's, listen, our culture will tell you, it's no big deal. Come on, church. Stop making such a big deal. It's just a function of the body. We eat. We're hungry, so we eat. Thirsty, so we drink. We have sexual desires, so we express them. What's wrong with the church? You know, it's interesting in our culture. When earthly wisdom starts running its course, you're going to see inconsistencies. Vast differences. So our culture, on the one hand, says when it comes to sex and sexuality, church is no big deal. You need to get off that. You need to get into the, the modern age. But on the other hand, what it will say is sexuality is my identity. That I am heterosexual, I am homosexual, I'll bisexual. That my sexuality, this normal function that I say is no big deal, has suddenly defined who I am to the point that if, I, if I'm not able to express my desire, 
then I can't be who, who I am. Do you see the difference between that? On the one hand, sex is no big deal. You should do it whatever you want. But on the other hand, it is a huge deal because that's how I label myself. That's how I call myself. That's who I am. We don't do that with any other desire of the body. You know? Otherwise, we'd be going around saying, I'm a glutton. I'm an overeater. I'm a compulsive shopper. Whatever desi- we don't list ourselves by desires, but in sexuality, what is that? It's, it's, it's earthly. It's what he describes. It's earthly. It's unspiritual to the devil. But here's the reality. James isn't talking to the people outside this room. He's not saying, church, go out there and evaluate the wisdom of the world. No, he's saying, church, look in your heart and evaluate what it is that's influencing the way that you live. Because our job is not to judge, meaning to condemn. Our job is to be generous. And just as Jesus gave his life for those who were far from God, it is the role and the job of the church to sacrifice for those who are far from the church and therefore far from God. And so what James is saying is, church, will you evaluate your heart? Now, what are the elements of earthly wisdom? Just quickly, he says three things. Earthly, unspiritual of the devil. Now, to be earthly is pretty simple. It means to live for what is here and now. That what drives your decisions financially? Are our decisions driven by the concept of eternity? That one day, I'm going to stand before the presence of a holy God, and that life isn't just about the earthly life, but there is a new heavens and a new earth, and that eternal life is a quality of life with God today, that continues with God into eternity tomorrow. Eternal life is not just, hey, I'm going to go to heaven. I got my ticket punched. I'm ready to go. Rather, eternal life is knowing God. Jesus said that's eternal life. It's to know the Father, to know me, which means eternal life is a quality of life, that this life isn't all I have. And so an earthly life says, what can I do with what I have that's going to make me happy? right? Because that's the center of life. That's the purpose of life. It's my happiness. And that's why in the church, listen, there is a, a movement in the church that will say to you, God is just after your happiness. It's called a prosperity theology. That if you just have enough faith, God will give you all the pleasures, desires, and things that you want. Listen, in pursuing that, the one thing you will not get is God. Because God will not bow to the desires of men. God has created your desires. He's created His law. And listen, God's law leads to joy. It leads to joy. And obedience is a desire to realize the fullness of desiring God above all things. That's what obedience is. It's a desire. It's saying, God, I want to realize that your law leads to joy. And so I don't want to make decisions based on what's best for today. I want to make decisions based on who you are and what you've done. That's earthly. But notice, not just earthly, but it's unspiritual. Now, the unspiritual says simply the material is more important than the spiritual. So I'm going to spend more time focused on my work. 
I'm going to focus more time on the things of this world. I'm not going to get up and pray. I'm not going to pursue God. I'm not going to gather in community. I'm going to kind of compartmentalize life, meaning that Sunday morning is church time. But James says, where's the wisdom in that? If you say you love God, but that's not influencing the way you live your life, what he's saying is it's earthly and the material has too great a hold on your life because that's where your time's invested. I mean, let's be honest. I'm with you too. I'm there, okay? I find so often that the business of running a church directs my heart more than being satisfied in the presence of God. And I'm a pastor, so I shouldn't do that. You guys are paying me not to do that. I'm just kidding. But you understand what I mean. That so often the wisdom that comes from, from this earthly, it, it devalues the things of the Spirit. So that when I, I gather in a church, often what we do when we go to churches is we start evaluating a church based on maybe what they can give me. And all of us are going to come in consumers. My hope is that we would leave disciples. All of us are going to come in based on needs, and that's okay. It's okay to say I have needs. My family has needs. These are ministries that are important to me. But to leave us there is to stay in that unspiritual area and say, Lord, what I want is not simply just to have my needs met. Lord, I want to live in such a way that I reflect your desires to the world. Unspiritual. Finally, what's the last one? You see it. We don't like to say it, do we? Why? Because we, I mean, sometimes we use the spiritual. There's no such thing as the demonic. I mean, sometimes we use the word Satan in church and people think, okay, now that's a little too far. Pastor, I've seen Lord of the Rings. Come on now, Mordor. What's the demonic? Simple, real simple. The demonic is real simple in its approach. It lies. It's not real. Where do you think that lie comes from? The material is more important. To live for today and the passions today, that's what's going to make... Where do you think that comes from? That is the essence of the demonic. It lies about the character and the nature of God, and it tells you a very different interpretation of life than what God describes. When you're walking in that, you're in a dangerous place because the wisdom you're walking in is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So church, can we be honest just for a moment? Where are we when it comes to the way we live life? If you could just stop and kind of evaluate. Last week, remember we talked about evaluating your words? I mean, hopefully that went well for you. I'll tell you, I probably broke it by 2 o'clock on Sunday, just to be honest, because things come out. But when you look at your life, what does your life say about the wisdom that is driving your life? Is it about today? Is it about me? Is marriage about me? Or is it about God's desire for my wife? Because here's the gospel. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Now, not just once when you accepted him at that, that retreat, but daily and follow me. I'll tell you, that's every morning. And that's not just for a pastor. That's for all of us because we are all disciples of Jesus. That's what it looks like. But the wisdom that does not come from God says, you know, not, I don't have to deny myself here. Pornography, really not a big deal. Lust, 
It's not hurting anyone. I'm not, I'm not doing anything wrong. You're fooling yourself because the father of lies is the demonic. And its goal is to say, hey, it's no big deal. It doesn't matter. This leads to joy. You should have it. That's the heart of pride. So that's false wisdom. Do we got some of that? Do we have some of that? I got some of that. So what is true wisdom? Well, thankfully, God hasn't left us just to fumble through life. Rather, if you go back to chapter 1, where do you find wisdom, church? Bergen Park, where do we find wisdom? If any of you lacks wisdom, she should ask God. And I love this. Who gives generously to all without finding fault? Meaning, even if I blew it yesterday and absolutely made a mess in my home or in my finances or at work. God is generous to all. He does not find fault. The only fault he will find is pride and selfish ambition. But if we humble ourselves, he desires to give us wisdom. And see, that's what James is unpacking. What is the wisdom that comes from a God? Well, notice what he says, the first quality. He says it is from above. Notice verse 17, but the wisdom... From above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That wisdom comes from above. It is a gift of God, which tells me, Jason, you're not going to figure it out. I know a lot of us love to figure it out, and we think, you know... If we can just get the right people in the right room, we will figure everything out. We can destroy the environment as much as we want. We can do relationships however we want because, see, we are smart enough to figure it out. James is saying, no, this, when it comes to bringing life and joy, you're not going to figure it out. It comes from God. You know, in Genesis 1, it's so interesting. It said God created us. And then you know what he had to do? Even though there was no sin and no brokenness, nothing was out of line, he had to teach us and he had to bless us. Because that's what it means to be human. We can't figure this thing out. To think we do and to say, I got this, God. Hey, I know you created everything. I know you designed marriage. I know you're the best parent possible. You're our father. But I got got marriage. God, I got that. I can handle it. No problem. I, I got finances. God, I got all this stuff. He's saying, no, it comes from above, meaning we have to humbly submit to it. And so it's from above. It comes from God. It's rooted in the things that are above. And then notice notice the life that comes out of it. This is a beautiful picture, not just of the description of wisdom. What he's describing in this passage is a picture of the life that God wants for you. And so notice the way that he describes life. He says it's pure. It's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know what this describes? You know what it looks like? On the one hand, it looks like Jesus, but on the other, it looks like Galatians 6, the fruit of the Spirit. I say, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Meaning the root is not you, which is good news. Hear me on this. 
The fruit of the Spirit means the root of that fruit is not from you, Jason. Which means love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can't create that in your life. You know why? Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. Well, church, what does the Spirit desire? Things that are from above. Set your minds on things above, Paul says in Colossians, not on things below. Why? Because you died, meaning those old desires are gone. Bury them. They've been buried with Christ. The only reason they're coming back is you keep bringing them up from the dead. But what God has placed in you is a new heart with a new desire. That because we know Christ, there is in you, listen, a desire to obey God. And when you set your heart on things that are above, and your words we talked about last week are focusing on things that come from God, what's going to start coming out is the stuff of God. Because what God has done to you, He wants to work through you. And so if you're not growing in love or patience, on the one hand, all of those fruits grow together. You notice He kind of calls them fruit, not fruits, because they all grow at the same time. Which means what we have to do is not so much try to organize our life. Okay, I gotta be pure. I gotta get all this stuff together. I gotta be patient. Don't pray for patience. I gotta be loving. I gotta be self sacrificing. No. If you try to set up all those fruits, all you're doing is tying apples on a pear tree. And from a distance, it's gonna look good. On Sundays, it looks nice because I got them, I got those apples tight. But what happens Monday is it starts to rot because it's not coming from the root, which is the Holy Spirit. It's coming from me, and I can't sustain that. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to walk away from Christ in the church because it's not working. But he says when it comes from above, when it comes from the Spirit, what it's going to look like is it's going to start looking like Jesus. And here's, here's the challenge, church. Here's the challenge is when we find ourselves walking in earthly wisdom, that which is unspiritual, living in the now instead of recognizing that life is about God and not me, the challenge is to have the meekness that comes from wisdom. The challenge is to say, I see it and I repent. Meaning, Father, I'm wrong. And and you you know the evidence of that? What's the evidence that you've really repented before God is that you will repent before man and you will live in a way that reflects the character and the nature of God. You know, we say we love God, but where does it show up? Jesus said in the way we love our brother, that we say we have wisdom, but where does it show up? Show me by your life. So what do we have to do, church? Well, we can go try harder, but I'll tell you, it won't work. What James is calling us to is to worship the God who is wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. So how do we cultivate this? I'll tell you just real quick two things that we're going to celebrate communion. We've got to grow in our understanding of the God of the Bible. We have to grow not just in our understanding of God, but we have to grow in our understanding of the God of the Bible. Why? Because that that's how God has chosen to reveal Himself. And if you have earthly wisdom, you know what? When you hear that, you know what just happens in your heart? No. No, I'm not going to do that. 
That's the essence of earthly wisdom. Because why? It's unspiritual. That doesn't come from God. It's demonic. That's not who God is. We have to grow in our understanding of who God is and how he's revealed himself. So listen, 2 Timothy 3 says, All scripture is God-breathed and profitable, meaning it's valuable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, meaning not a fractured life, but a whole life, equipped for every good work. We have to see in the thou shalls and the thou shall nots that God is setting out what is best for our joy and delight. We think we can just follow our desires and find delight. How is that going? And how does man do when he just follows his delights? Mankind hadn't had too many good days. Rather, he says, in the thou shalt and thou shalt nots, what God is setting before you is joy and hope and peace and life. He's setting before you what is pure, not bitter water, but fresh water. He's setting before you that which is open to reason, that is peaceable, is sincere, and good. And the fruit that comes out is a harvest of righteousness, meaning you'll start to reflect the character of God. We have to grow in our understanding of the God of the Bible. And listen, let me say, it's okay to question the God of the Bible. It is okay in the church to ask questions and say, I don't like this. That's, God, God's not scared of your questions. And so church, do not be scared of questions. There's no fear in that. We need to be honest before God. But we also need to say, Lord, I want to humble myself before you. If you created all things, I want to learn to trust you as you say you are. You know, I could get to know you and think that you are whoever I want you to be. You know, you're an astronaut. That's how I want to see you. But if I don't get to know you as you are, I'll never know you. And you'll never know me. What is a true relationship? You've got to meet people where they are, as they say who they are. We've got to grow in our knowledge of the God of the Bible. But finally, we've got to grow in community with each other. Do you have relationships where people can hear your words and they can sit down with you and say, you know, Jason... Um, that's not fresh water right there. Can fresh water, you noticed last week, and salt water come from the same? Jason, that is, I know what you're talking about, and I hear what you're saying, but that's going to lead to death. That's going to destroy your marriage and your life, the pursuit you're on. Do you have people that love you enough that can speak into your life and lead you to Christ? You know, if you're visiting today and you're kind of looking for a church, I said before, there's a lot of things you can look for in a church, and you know, does the pastor make me laugh? That's, that's good. Uh, do they have a great children's program? You know, maybe with one of those shoots that your kids come down. You know, that's, that's important. Um, you know, what is the music? All of that, okay, is, I understand it. it has its place, but do you want wisdom? What you should look for in a church is, are there men and women who are passionate about God and Jesus Christ? And if there are, get around them. Because if there are men and women who are pursuing Jesus, they're passionate about the things of God and the person of God, and they're diving into the character of God, when you get around them, they're going to start speaking into your life. Now, maybe that's not what you want. Maybe it's not what you want, but you have to start evaluating. If you don't want people speaking in your life that are really walking with God, do you really want God? 
If I don't want to, I'll tell you, being around some really passionate Christians can be weird. <laughs> when I was a young man, I was like, really, dude, that's stop talking about Jesus. It can, it can be weird, but it's refining. It's purifying. And it's not that you need to become that guy or you need to become that woman. No, there is something in that man. There's some maturity in that heart that you need to, you need to grab onto. Church, are we willing not just to love God, but to love each other in such a way that we'll get in community and allow the passions for God to influence us? You know, today we're going to celebrate communion. And so I want to invite the the worship team to come up. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But worship team, guys, would you come up? And and those of you that are going to serve communion, would you you come find your places? And and as we prepare this morning for communion, I I want to give you this opportunity really to reflect. To give us some time just before God, before we come to the communion table, and we'll describe how we're going to do this and what it looks like so that each one of you knows where to go. But here's my challenge. Would you just ask the Lord, Lord, is the wisdom in my life driven by me or is it driven by you? And, and, And listen, you can be really compartmentalized. I was for years, for years. You know, I had a theology from God, but a sexual ethic from me. Meaning, God... I want to give you my whole heart. You know what discipleship is? It's continually submitting every area of my life to the authority of God and the empowering presence of Jesus Christ. Living as a disciple is continually submitting every area of my life. And here's the good news, and I want to share this with you real quick. God's not going to tell you everything at once. He's going to give you just what you need to stay connected and impassioned to Him. Are you with me? So today... Uh, can we just, let's pray just for a moment and just ask the Lord. Father, would you search us? Would you know our hearts? Would you see if there is any wicked way in me? Father, I want to ask, I know this week in my heart, you showed me the things that are earthly, that are unspiritual of the devil. Would you? Would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you convict us of sin and would you show us the beauty that is found in the person and the gospel of Jesus Christ? And Father, would we come today to this table adoring and Father, really desiring just to lay, lay everything down before you and say, Lord, I submit to you. You are good, and I want to know you today. Father, bless us and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if, if you've received Jesus Christ, I want you to know the communion is open to you. The way that we celebrate communion together, it's called intinction. When you come up, the person in front will say, this is the body of Jesus Christ, which is broken for you. Would you just pull off a piece of that bread? And then they will say, this is his blood that was shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. And you dip it in that that juice. 
recognizing this is the body and the blood of Jesus, receiving it, and then walking away, giving gratitude to God for what he's done. That is the gospel. It's simply through the life and the death, the resurrection of Jesus, we are the children of God. And if you just limped in here today and you barely made it, grace is available, love and mercy, but we have to come humbly to receive it. And so let's come together when God leads you. You can come forward, come to the side. I'll be here in the center. And let's receive communion. Also, if, you're, if you don't want to get up, you can stay seated, but I just ask you to raise your hand. We've got some folks in the back that want to serve you, but let them know that you want to receive it. Let's celebrate what God has done together. Are you with me? Let's receive.